I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea on what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Hello, ladies. It's Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. Welcome. I am totally loving this autumn where I live in Western Canada. We've had such warm, lovely, autumnal weather, and I could just go crazy for it. So no snow yet. <laughs> I don't know if I'm uh, um, inciting the snow gods when by saying that. But anyways, um, I hope wherever you are in the world, you are safe and you know you're loved and you're happy and things are going well for you. That is my prayer for all of us today. So today happens to be World Menopause Day, uh, October 18th. Yes, October 18th. And um, I thought it appropriate to drop a little podcast episode for you today. Um, I am sharing an interview that I did earlier this summer with Jacqueline Rose of the Menopause Summit. And she interviewed me and I think it was a pretty sort of broad ranging conversation and I got into things a little bit differently than I normally do here on the podcast. So I thought you guys might like listening to it. So I'm sharing Jacqueline's uh, um, episode from her menopause summit, which she does every year. So I recommend that you get on her uh, mailing list. She can be found at JacquelineRoseHealth.com. I'm going to also put that in the show notes, and I hope that the insights that come out of this episode are uh, useful for you, as always. And I'm just so happy to see the way the world is changing so fast around midlife women's healthcare or women's healthcare at midlife, otherwise known as menopause care. For heaven's sakes! There's nearly a billion of us around the world. How have we tolerated not getting the appropriate care we needed? So I'm here for the change. Happy World Menopause Day. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the next year uh, until we mark this day again in 2024. So until then, enjoy the episode. And here is a word from our sponsor. Our next partner is AG1. 
the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Menopause Summit. I am Jacqueline, your host. And for this session, I am slightly starstruck. We are joined by Dr. Fiona Lovely, who um, is really a leading voice in my world in the menopause conversation. I've been following her for a while. I listen to her podcast. She has a fantastic podcast. Even the title itself is amazing, but I will let her introduce you to that. So uh, Dr. Lovely, welcome, welcome. Introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and then we can get into our conversation. (laughs) <laughs> thank you. That's such a, a, a sweet introduction. And, and it's my pleasure to be here. So thank you for inviting me, Jacqueline. So uh, I am, I've been practicing women's medicine for uh, 20 years, nearly 20 years, studying it for 25 or so. And um, really, uh, I, you know, my, my professional designation is as a chiropractor. So I'm a, a spine expert, a nervous system expert, and I took the training in functional medicine for my own interest, because in my 20s, I had an experience uh, with um, uh, a few healthcare providers that left me going, mm, something here is not right. My instinct told me that they didn't have the whole picture. And I honored that. And of course, it was about the time Dr. Northrup was on Oprah. Um, there's there's a whole generation of us that were that had read Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. Um, and that influenced me greatly. And so I took uh, the training in functional medicine uh, really for my own interest. And what I didn't expect was how much women would need it and how much I would be pulled in. And I had a, a patient in her 40s. It was one of my very first patients in practice. It was probably maybe my first or second month in practice. She literally begged me to come and help her. She begged me. She said, my doctors don't listen to me. And this was in very... Um, alternative, liberal, bolder Colorado, where you would think there would be some pretty well-trained doctors there that would be able to look at things from an alternative perspective, not just prescribe the pill. But she pulled me into this day. I'm grateful for it. Um, I started the podcast in 2016. It's called Not Your Mother's Menopause. I called it that because I had been doing a lecture series for years prior to that, um, where I would go around to various venues, whoever asked me really, Um, and talk about the experience that I had and um, my mother being raised in the UK, very polite. You didn't talk about women's things. They were uncouth or unladylike, whatever those words mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, 
And, you know, it was one of those things where it just made sense to call it that because I, my expectation for myself and my grandmothers, I didn't have any information about their menopause at all. And um, my expectation for myself was that I was going to have a very different experience. And um, well, here we are, when I started doing this work, I wasn't yet perimenopausal. I am fully perimenopausal now. <laughs> it's sort of like the midwife that hasn't yet birthed their own child, oh, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> So, so I, if, if you're going to reveal that you're in perimenopause, I have been asking some of my speakers to reveal how old they are so we yes. can understand, so that the audience can understand the range of what's going on. Because I've had one speaker who was in her 50s saying that she hadn't yet hit menopause and a speaker who was, you know, in their 40s saying, I know I'm quite there. So are, yes. you, are you willing to reveal your age? Yes. 49 and holding, holding, okay. <laughs> holding. <laughs> but you know you're in perimenopause. Yes, for sure. Still cycling, but I do have a, a, a number of the perimenopausal yeah. symptoms. And I can see now looking back on it that I've had them for probably 10 years. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to dive in and ask you one of the most controversial questions before we've even warmed up. <laughs> Yay, I love controversy. Bring it on. I know that I can do this with you because I've been listening to your podcast. So I know you like to go there. Um, and that's about the Western or conventional medical care system that we are familiar with. Because both you and I are exposed to clients who come to us having not got the answers from their doctors. So without, you know, bad mouthing this amazing medical care system that we know does amazing, amazing things very, very well. We also understand that it does some things, specifically women's health, not very well. So do you want to talk to that, talk about that? Because I think so many women are listening and wondering, I've gone to my doctor. I've done the right thing. Why is he not helping me? Why do I not feel better? Why am I not getting the answers that I need? Yeah, it's my pleasure to step in that with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first thing you have to recognize is that medicine as it has been taught for the last, I don't know, probably 100 years, maybe less than that, has been about elongating life without considering how healthy we are in that experience. So it's really just a prevention of death model. Okay. Now that is changing. We are now looking at things like how things like vitality, things like longevity, we may be alive, but how much life are we expressing? That's changing. Okay. So that's the first thing I want to say. So we have uh, generations of healthcare providers that have been trained in the model of death prevention. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, typically it's a procedure, it's a surgery, it's radiation, it's a drug. Yeah. But it's not talking to patients necessarily about prevention. Okay. Yeah. So let me just lay that groundwork. And you said it beautifully. There is uh, there are so many amazing health practitioners and doctors out there that do a great job. But the truth is there's a knowledge gap. They were taught the knowledge gap. And now it's because of us Gen Xers that are not going to go quietly into the night yeah. that are sitting behind our microphones saying enough, like, okay, so they're not going to help us. Let's get together and help each other. Yeah. So keep talking, ladies, keep asking the questions because 
my understanding is that in the traditional medicine uh, education, there is essentially no information about menopause, mm-hmm. except for the acknowledgement that this is when periods stop, which is 12 months after your last menstrual bleed, you can acknowledge that you are menopausal and everything after that is postmenopause, which we know now is 40% of a woman's life, 40%. That's a long time. Now, not that many years ago, not that many generations ago, women didn't live long past menopause. So that's also part of the, the knowledge gap is that there didn't need to be management of the hormonal egress that happens at perimenopause. And so the system is changing. Um, as I said in the podcast I recorded earlier this week, uh, science, Max Planck, a uh, physicist, said science moves slowly forward. Science progresses one funeral at a time. That is, as the old model dies away, one practitioner at a time, a new practitioner will rise that will have better uh, understanding of what's happening, better modalities. And, you know, another thing we have to acknowledge is that the there was a piece of research that was done in the early 2000s, 2002, called the Women's Health Initiative yes. that was really misinterpreted. Yes. And because of that, our mother's generation was pulled immediately off their hormones. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Terrible. So I want to tell you, one of the speakers we have at the summit is a guy called Dr. Dinner and he remembers and I've never seen met a real doctor who was there at the transition and he remembers the day before and the day after when he was giving HRT freely and then when he stopped giving it and he was there on that sort of front line of seeing it happen and it was so sort of spine tingling for me to interview him during the summit because he really sees what happens. And, and you're 100% right. We've spoken about this WHI um, report. I, I wonder if we can maybe just peel one layer back and talk about women's health in general within the traditional system. That in general, I mean, I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the statistic um, from research that came out from the Mayo Clinic research paper only a couple of years ago that said about 7% of doctors felt they were adequately adequately trained to deal with menopausal women or perimenopause symptoms. Um, But I think we are familiar that this is a problem across the women's health space in general. Um, Obviously perimenopause and menopause, but women have not been adequately served throughout their whole life cycle and then sort of you know, get hit even harder during perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So just think about the numbers on this. So if there's 850 million women around the world that are somewhere in the menopause transition, 850 million, that's almost a billion women. Yeah. And we have 7% of doctors. And let's make the point that 7% are probably in the developed world. Yeah. Well, yeah. Assuming in North America. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's a lot of women that are not well served. And they're just, and yes, these, like you said, these women are correct. They've gone to their doctor. They've done their, 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 their part only to be told, this is what happens at your age. Get used to it. Here's the birth control pill. Here's the IUD. Get used to it. Um, You know, suck it up, buttercup. Really? (laughs) I'm just not willing to stand for that. 
the only glimmer of hope that I do want to give our audience is that things are changing. And that is definitely true. Things are changing. Um, but as you correctly said, it is slow going. So tell us, Dr. Lovely, how you really work. How are you supporting your women? What is your approach? Um, what are you seeing with your client base and sort of what sort of what is it that you actually do on a, you know, in a, in a on a day to day basis? Sure. So when I'm seeing a patient for uh, assessment of health, presumably at perimenopause, you know, we do a thorough history. We talk through uh, the things that you think that we would, um, you know, everything from a menstrual history to uh, pregnancies or even, uh, you know, how you sleep, how you eat, all of those things that you essentially we should all be asked, to be honest. Yeah. Um but we also take a look in this office here, we look at uh, functional blood testing, basically. So not only am I looking at uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but I'm also looking at the adrenal hormones because have you noticed this is really interesting as kind of an aside, but let's get back on the road here in a second. But it's interesting how we have all these supplements to lower cortisol. I'm sorry, I have to tell you, by the time we get to perimenopause, there's not many of us that still have high cortisol. Most of us are low cortisol. So oh, explain, uh, that. explain that, please. Yes. Okay. Yes, so cortisol... we do or we have that um, approach that we're super stressed out. And so we're, fun we're functioning with super high cortisol. So yeah, correct. <laughs> correct me. Why, where, where is that? Where is that? Um, yeah. Thought process? So what I like to say is someone's asking me that question is, babe, you probably had high cortisol in your or late 20s and early 30s, right? <laughs> so what happens is we have these, uh, our, our adrenal glands, which are our stress response glands, have the ability to produce cortisol, which is the primary stress hormone. And what it does is it allows us to mobilize. It allows us to heal trauma. It balances um, sugar. It balances fluid. It like like uh, when I say fluid, I mean um, uh, blood pressure. So it has the ability to do all of those things. But if you keep pressing the stress button, like we are taught to do, our generation was taught to do, because yeah. it's how we validate our worth as women. Okay. Yeah. The dudes do it too. They got their own issues with this, but you know, we're talking about uh, women's health here. So let's just stay there. But, um, but anyways, if we keep pressing that button, if we keep asking for that response to happen, eventually our bodies just no longer have the reserves necessary in order to keep pumping out cortisol. Right. Now, cortisol, high cortisol is associated with all kinds of health issues. So is low cortisol. So by the time a woman gets to perimenopause, she's yeah. got other hormones are leaving the building. Um, she may at the same time be estrogen dominant. This is another problem. And, and of course, I know that term is a little um, troublesome uh, for those, for some. And the answer is it's basically hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysregulation in case you want to make it more sciencey. All right. Oh, really? That's how you would describe. Uh, yeah, I'm going to geek out a bit. That's how you <laughs> describe um, estrogen dominance as a, as HPA access dysfunction. It's part of the cascade because That's what happens is it's not that estrogen is climbing so much anymore. It's that with the leaving, uh, the progesterone leaving the building, yeah. now we've got way more because there's an there's a ratio throughout yes. our reproductive lives. We have to have this ratio maintained, the estrogen to progesterone ratio. 
And the reality is estrogen is so much stronger than progesterone anyways. It's just a very active biological model, um, uh, chemi chemical model, okay? Or chemistry, yeah, a chemical. Yeah, that would be the right way to say it. So what happens is as progesterone declines with the ovarian um, output declining, um, then what happens is we end up with way more estrogen that's essentially unopposed or lower. It has a lower opposition to the, to the, um, with the progesterone. So this is part of it. Now to go back to cortisol for a minute, what happens, as I said, you get to this point where you press that button for so long. Yeah. And now you cannot make the cortisol that you once were able to. Now, the other thing that happens is the adrenal glands make the progesterone once our ovaries stop doing what they do. Okay. So, cause they're the primary progesterone production. If we're still ovulating, if we're still cycling, chances are you're probably ovulating some of the time, which means you're going to be making the progesterone. So, but when you don't, your, your adrenal glands are supposed to take over that experience, right? And also take yeah. up estrogen production, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And our fat cells do as well. Yes. Yes. Yep. 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 So what happens is if we keep play, playing that stress factor, um, we have a function called the pregnenolone steel, and that's the mother hormone uh, for both cortisol, the stress response and progesterone. Now your body can make one or the other. So you get to have fear or you get to have relaxation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I always say it's love or fear. You get to pick, but you can't have both at the right. same time. Right. Yeah. So over time, as it's going along here and you keep pressing the stress response, well, here's the, here's the mother hormone going to making cortisol, 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 stress, stress, stress. Yeah. And you can't make progesterone. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. You know, when, when the young women uh, that work in my office, my admin, they ask me, say, you know, Dr. Lovely, what, what can I do now to, to prevent symptoms? Yes. The best thing you can learn to do now when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, even when you're a teenager, is just learn how to manage stress better. It's not going away, but how you respond to it, that you're in charge of. Yeah. That's where you spend the time. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I remember in my 30s saying, um, if you need something done, ask a busy person. And I'm your busy person to ask. That was how we all functioned. Because, yeah, it was some expectations. And sort of that was just what, what women in their 20s and 30s did. Um, but I do think things are changing. And, you know, I'm also, I'm only, I'm 48. So, but I can see in like that 15 years of sort of, I have younger cousins in their 30s. Something is beginning to click. Something is beginning to change a little bit. They are still very busy and juggling, but something is sort of, they're cottoning on earlier that it's not working for them. I think that's what's changing. Thank goodness. Yeah. Right? Thank, I should say thank the goddess for that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and, and this is the thing, the conversations like this that we're having now, We'll yeah. make it so much easier for our daughters and our granddaughters and the youngsters yeah. coming after us to go through it. We're literally the interface between the generations that barely lived what past menopause and the ones that will live 50 or 60 years past their reproductive yeah. era. Yeah, yeah. So it's our responsibility to start changing that narrative so that the next generation has that new sort of approach. 
So what are you sort of, what are the classic symptoms that you're seeing? Not the classic perimenopause symptoms that everyone has in their head of hot flushes and irregular periods and maybe some weight gain and maybe some brain fog and that's about it. But what are you actually seeing in your clinic sort of of how are women really showing up and probably not even being aware that they're perimenopausal? Well, I think, um, you know, being a chiropractor, I work with joint pain a lot, right? So it's quite a common conversation for me to have. Someone will come in for treatment of that joint pain and I'm talking to them about their hormones and they're going, what just happened? (laughs) Right. So this is the thing about us sort of hybrid practitioners is that we have, we're not tethered to that old model. We can really pivot around whatever is needed. So I do see a lot of joint pain and that is a very common uh, symptom of perimenopause, a lot of brain fog. Now, is that because I have a, a bit of an interest in that, a bit of a specialty in prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia because of my family history? Probably. Those are the people I tend to see in the clinic. Um, but uh, I see a lot of autoimmunity too. So whether that is, yeah, gluten intolerance, right down to celiac, um, it's MS. We do see MS quite a bit here in this in this part of the world, although that doesn't necessarily have a connection to perimenopause. I do see a number of patients um, with MS. Um, I would say muscle pains are a big one, sleeplessness, uh, vaginal dryness and pelvic floor dysfunction. I'm seeing that a lot too. Yeah, yeah. And women, as you said, go for one thing and then you're directing them to what the what's really going on, the root of what's really happening in, in their bodies. So they're, they're only benefiting even if they're getting a bit of a shock at what they didn't expect to happen. Um, I want to talk to you because you mentioned um, about nervous system um, being sort of an area of your uh, sort of expertise to talk a little bit about how that changes. Um, we touched on it, but sort of to go a little bit deeper as to what happens um, in our nervous system as we are interested from the hormonal perspective. Sort of how is it changing because of these changing hormones? And maybe you can also talk to us about, so what does that mean? Like what, 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 you know, what do we do with that? Because for so many of us, we still do have busy lives. And even if we know that we should be reducing our stress and should be doing some self-care, the reality is that women today are probably working one, if not two jobs. They probably have kids. They are probably caring for elderly parents. They may have community responsibilities and a whole bunch of other things. And it's very difficult in the reality to say, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm going to reorganize my life. You know, it, it takes a lot to reach that stage. So maybe if you can talk a little bit about that and then sort of the reality of what is it that you then recommend? Sort of what can women really be doing? Yeah, so... Um... The topic of nervous system around uh, perimenopause is a fascinating one. One that I'm really just teasing apart right now. There's, uh, I'm writing a book at the moment, so this will be uh, a big part of that experience. Um, but so it's probably the best reason for me to be uh, researching it right now. So by the time a woman has reached 40s, let's just say 40s, okay? although perimenopause can start at 35. So everyone just needs to be aware of that. But let's just say a woman reaches the age of 40, 42. She's got her kids. She's got now aging parents. She may be running a business. She may be trying to um, 
uh, climb the corporate ladder or what have you. Um, <clears throat> and she starts to not sleep as well. And when you don't sleep as well, now you start to have mood issues. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of those things that um, I want to talk about just, just briefly is anxiety and depression can come on with the hormonal egress of perimenopause. So, but what we have been taught to do is to make that a conversation about willpower or our ability to just yeah. um, man up or yeah. woman up or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. that same philosophy of just suck it up. This is what it is and just deal with it. Yeah, or not deal with it. Look the other way. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I see that more. And I, I know I've done this myself. But, but I'm not even gonna look. I'm just gonna look the other way. I'm just gonna keep walking and it'll go away. It's gonna go away, right? It'll go away. <laughs> right, 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 right. Sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. But but to go back to the to the subject of the nervous system. So when we have continually allowed stress, now keep in mind, we have glorified it. And um, I, uh, as I talk about this a lot, I can literally hear the women behind the, I'm on one side of the mic and y'all are on the other side going, did she just tell me to stop stressing again? <laughs> I should have asked, can I say bad words? <laughs> You can say whatever you want. I'm not editing anything out. It's all real. Go okay. Well, I can literally feel it. I can literally feel you all rolling your, I can hear you rolling your eyeballs at me, right? When I say yeah. that. Now, please understand, you and I are the same. So I am learning to do this myself. And yeah. I'm finding it very hard, especially as somebody who has, um, I suppose has a nervous system that is used to a certain amount of hustle, a certain amount of uh, proving myself because I've been doing it so long, um, etc. And understand that becomes our normal, yeah. and our brain, our neurochemistry uh, supports that because yeah. we have created those connections in our brain. And so it's really a matter of when you hear me say manage your stress just take a breath with that and understand there's no judgment in that it's literally me just saying become aware of how much you're allowing a stress response yeah. on a daily basis and when you really tune into this it's quite a fascinating process uh Jacqueline I'm sure you've been through it yourself but I noticed the other day I was making my breakfast and I happened to have the tv on <clears throat> And there was some sort of football drama on, you know, I, I, I love American style football. So <laughs> this is the off season, but there's fun things yes. going on. So I had the channel on and there was some sort of drama going on and I could feel my ire rising and I could just feel this sort of angstiness as I'm, you know, making my eggs and toasting my gluten-free toast yeah. and all this. And I was like, and I sat down and I was feeling angst and I was like, what the hell's going on? And yeah. I realized I was just sensitive to what was happening on the television. So I, I, I want to stop you for one second and tell you that I know I want to give a tiny anecdote about my husband. I know he is male, but the, the, the story still applies. He was having some heart issues. So he had a heart monitor, a 24 hour heart monitor on it. All the results came back fine. But when he went to have got the results, the doctor said to him, everything looked fine. Apart from there was a two hour 
in the afternoon that your heart rate, your blood pressure was really spiking. What was going on? And my husband had to think a minute. He goes, oh, that's when I was watching my football team at a really important soccer game. That's what it was. It hit, and, and that's just how he experiences soccer every, you know, watching his team every time he watches. But because he had the heart monitor on, it was noticeable, significantly noticeable. But that's just what he does on a Sunday afternoon watching his team. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is I've also noticed this if I was watching a, do a, a documentary or a drama on the TV or listening to a podcast that had something stressful in it. Yeah. I've noticed that. So women are naturally empathic. It's part of the trauma we experienced as children. For most of us, we had to navigate our worlds in such a way. So if we had an unstable environment around us at all, that was part of how we navigated that world. So start to become aware because even me listening to the football pundits talk about God knows what was going on that day. That's that sure it's real to the people that are in it. But for me to have a stress response is silly. It's yeah. silly. It's supposed to be entertainment. Yeah. Right. But I think it's so important what you're bringing up because women perceive stress as, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I've got a deadline and my kid's birthday party and I've got a family wedding and like the stress, the stress, the stress of the to do list of the 24 hour cycle. They don't realize that there are so many other stress triggers that impact their biology that they're not even aware of yes um, yes yes two things I want to talk about there the first is uh, I will often send my patients for a continuous glucose monitor so that is the the device that you see on the back of the arm yeah. that will uh, give you real-time information on what your blood sugar is doing. Please understand this is used to monitor diabetics, absolutely. But anybody can walk into a pharmacy and purchase these for your own information. It gives us wonderful information that gives us such power. So for example, um, recently I had a patient I was working with who kept telling me their GP said, keep saying you're borderline diabetic. We should probably get you on the medications. Let's get this started. And the patient was saying, well, listen, I do all the right stuff. I eat well, I exercise, I have a great family support, et cetera, et cetera. However, she is a very anxious person. And I know this because she's been a part of my practice for probably 10 years at this point. Yeah. And because I know this about her, I said to her, I said, you really need to just have a, a CGM or continuous glucose monitor. And I want you to watch this. And sure enough, it wasn't the food that she was eating that was causing her elevated blood sugar. It was the stress yeah. she was manufacturing in her mind. Now, why do we do that? Remember I said at the beginning, we have this neurochemistry that supports a stressful environment because that's often how we were raised and we carry it forward so that's part of why you roll your eyes because you go well like I've never been anything other than stressed to which I say babe you need a new identity like it's okay to step out of that and then of course what happens is a woman goes well will I be able to get anything done will people know me anymore will I be able to be a good mother or a good wife or whatever and so you have to just see all of this for what it is. I think it is, um, I, deep, Dr. Chopra, Deepak Chopra would say it's all part of the mass delusion. Like stop believing that you have to be productive in order to be worthy. And I think that's a really, really important point. Yeah. 
No, I think you're bringing up such important points about stress because stress is one of the key triggers for hormonal imbalance, for health and well-being challenges. Um, and we have such a narrow view of what stress is. And I think that you're bringing up such important points that stress really impacts our health and well-being on a systematic level, really on a systems level in our body. It is really impacting us. And as we're entering perimenopause and menopause, when everything is changing, our adrenal glands are exhausted from those years of stress and our estrogen is not supporting us anymore. Um, the impacts, we should not belittle the impacts of stress on our menopause experience. Yes. Yeah. And let's, let's get tactical on this because it's all fine and dandy to talk uh, theory on this. But um, as I have learned in my own life, my intellect will actually keep me stuck. But when I get into my body, I can move forward. Yeah. So I really want you guys to hear that the listeners to hear that. If you feel stuck anywhere, the answer is not more thinking. The answer is get physical. So go for a walk, dance it out. Um, by all means, have an orgasm, go exercise. Like something, literally, if you have 30 seconds, shake your booty, stand up and shake your booty, shake your arms out. Let, that's one of my favorite ways <laughs> it's, because it's an instant discharge and it gets you into the physical self. And the truth is women are, we are so deeply moved by our instincts and our intuition, but we have been conditioned to yeah. become intellectuals. And that's fine. I'm not saying it's not okay to be smart. You'll be smart, boo. Don't worry about that. It's if you want the solution, get into your physical body. Yeah. That's a really, really important thing. Um, yeah. You know, something I was going to say earlier. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite tools and again i can hear your people gonna they're gonna cuss me out here but it's okay i've done this too so i've been here and i know it take 25 percent of what you're doing off your plate right now yeah it's hard so hard it's so hard because it is so much in that western society it's one of the things um that i think is one of the criticisms i have of the feminist movement is that we had to, we were forced to, it was our challenge to be seen as equals. We had to raise the bar even higher. We had to break through that glass ceiling just to be considered. But now, years later, I think, and I know people are gonna be shouting at me down, down, down the screen because I'm gonna say it's unfeminist what I'm saying, but I am a very strong feminist. However, I think we need to think about what the extreme feminist approach has done for this feminine intuition and for the expectations of what it means to be a strong, powerful woman. And, and, and yeah, so say that again about the 25%. <laughs> Take 25% off your plate right now. I'm getting close to my mic because I'm being serious. Take 25% <laughs> off your plate right now. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I know it's laugh worthy. The truth is when I was told this information, I was told 50%. Yeah. 
Wow. And I had some foul words come out of my mouth in that moment because I was like, there's no way I run a business. I have patients to care for. I've got aging parents. I've got my own health issues. Like there's so much going on. You know, it could be kids. It could be, you know, whatever. Yes. But the truth is it is a worthy pursuit always to mind your health first. And that's what you're doing. You're going to feel like you're letting people down, but what in fact you're doing is saying yes to others and no to yourself. When you take 25% off your plate, you are saying yes to yourself first. The others will sort it out. They will sort it out. It's fine. Now, um, something else I wanted to say, if I can recall, because my brain is perimenopausal. (laughs) Go for it. Is that... I, I love what you said about being a feminist. Um, you know, I, I don't know why that, well, I do know why, but um, that seems to be a word that gets thrown around like a, like a derogatory term. And I just, again, it's just another way for women to be kept small and to keep each other small. So make sure when you're using that word, you really understand the the history of that. Not you, but whoever you're talking to that may be using that word as a derogatory term. So um, I I identify as feminist too. I was raised by a feminist woman who, you know, worked full time outside of the home, continually going to school to, to, to continually upgrade her education. My dad was an executive and my brother and I did just fine. We saw that, you know, that was the soup that we, that was the Petri dish that we were raised in, but but anyways, what I want to say about getting back into the body is, and, and what you said about intellectualizing um, as part of the feminist movement, which is what we had to do to keep up with the boys, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, the guys, no, I won't even go there. But but <laughs> what we had to do is our, our bodies are full of feminine technologies and magic. Yeah. And you can read about those things. Or you can get out of your head and into your body and discover them for yourself. Yeah. And I think there's a real rising in that happening right now. And I'm totally here for it. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting topic. And again, I don't want to use the feminist language for it. But all to say is that for too long, women were forced to or chose to be disconnected from their feminine bodies so that we could show up as equals. And I think the C is changing on this. Uh, There is a changing approach. They're working together with our hormones, um, working together with our cycles more. And as you've said, just really getting very into the feminine um, intuition of your body, the femininity of what that means to be a woman and use that to your advantage rather than denying it rather than saying I've got to be masculine to be an equal let's be feminine and use that to be equals and and I agree with you things are changing I know um you mentioned Dr Northrop Dr Northrop's daughter Kate Northrop has is part of that that language change of working yeah really working together with your cycles there are a lot of people doing it but I know because you mentioned Dr Northrop um her daughter is sort of going you know taking her mother's uh, education and and really going in that direction also. Absolutely. And we're talking about Kate Northrup, of course, who wrote a book called Do Less, which was a very um, sort of, uh, um, uh, was sort of the antithesis at the time of 
of what was happening. She was saying, no, 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 no. We're doing this all wrong. Go the other way. And she was really the first time I heard um, the discussion around mapping your day-to-day activities based on where you are in your menstrual cycle. And I love this. I know it's been revolutionary for me. Um, It's a little less useful for me at the moment um, as my cycles are changing. They're not as regular as they once were, perimenopause after all. You just never know. My poor husband, he would love to know. He would prefer to know. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm happy that we're bringing this up because it is important. And again, don't yell at us and scream at us and saying that we're being anti-feminist. We're not. But there is an important conversation here to be had about how do women really connect to their authentic selves and listening to that. Yeah, because it turns out our bodies don't want the hustle and the grind. We can do it because we are amazing. But we don't need to put forth that much effort. We've just modeled the dudes. Yeah. Right. So you got to get into that feminine magic to know about what what that means. And it's going to be different for every woman. But the basic my basic understanding of it is that just start to listen to your in- instinct. Your intuition will tell you everything. And we have been conditioned to override that yeah. inner knowing. Please, let's just get back to those technologies. Yeah. And by the way, my understanding is that once we stop cycling, there are specific neurohormones that that get elevated um, in that time and stay elevated. And they are the, the hormones that connect us to our ability to um, sense things, let's say. Okay, so I'm really happy you led me directly into my next question. Um, and we're sort of coming to the end. You've been so generous with your time. I just want to, before we close, to ask about postmenopause. And you sort of were beginning sort of to talk about that. What happens in postmenopause today? You talked about earlier that we are now, as women, spending about 40% of our time in those postmenopause years. So for women who may be struggling during their menopause experience, who may be having symptoms, or even those women who aren't, what what sort of advice or, or what are you seeing as the opportunities um, in postmenopause, sort of what what does that look like for women today? Yeah, great question. I love this. Um, so, my understanding, and of course, it is purely uh, intellectual at this point. I don't know yet, but I can tell you that when I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking of all the women who have told me it gets better. <laughs> so, right. So, um, my understanding is that all of this sort of noise stops. Thank God. We're not pushed and pulled by the waves of our hormones any longer. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that pleasure takes on a different, a different experience. We're not seeking happiness or joy or pleasure for other people. We're seeking it for ourselves. Yes. And keep in mind that the the push and pull of the feminine hor- of the female hormones, that est- estrogen and progesterone its whole entire existence is for reproduction. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have little people running around this. We wouldn't have new humans. So, but, you know, we can make it about the fact that I get crazy, you know, women say they get crazy before their period happens. Or you could say, actually, that's progesterone going and telling you to go inward 
and stop messing with people on the outside? Like, what if we started to listen to our bodies in that way? Or if we knew at, at mid at mid cycle, when we're ovulatory, that's when it's party time. So you got about 48 hours, then that's when you put on the low cut top. That's when you got the red lipstick on. <laughs> you know, that's when you're fun with it right that's when you want to connect with other people that's when you're irresistible etc which i understand by the way post-menopause feels like the ovulatory phase which makes me very excited isn't that fun yeah (laughs) yeah so i i understand that things just get a lot quieter um you go back to being able to sleep through the night you don't have to worry about you know can i book a holiday that week, or is, am I expecting anti-flow, you know, or, and, and then the the perimenopause experience of anti-flow can be, you know, one, one, excuse me, one month, it could be three days and the next, it could be a torrential downpour for seven days. Right. You just don't know. You don't know. So it does get a lot better. And recently I did, I did an interview. Let me take a drink of tea. Please do. excuse me, talking too much. <laughs> this reminds me of when I was a kid growing up, one of the things I was told probably in the proper British way was that children were seen and not heard. Not had. Oh, so 1950s. <laughs> yes. yes. And so uh, I know for me, I that comes up as resistance for me every time I do something like this, where I'm being seen by a lot of people. There's a part of me that's like, no, 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 that's not what you do. This is not what polite girls do. Polite girls? Yes, <laughs> <else> is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've listened to your podcast. I know you're not polite. <laughs> no, I know. I'm <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the best compliment you can make. <laughs> Anyways, I was interviewing Susan Salinger a couple, it was about a month ago, actually. It was one of the recent podcasts I had. She has a book out called uh, sidelined, which is very interesting. It's about women and how we make decisions about our health. Mm. And she's 80 and she looks about, she might look 60. Wow. Anyways, she's fascinating. And after I turned the, uh, the recording off the mic, uh, the cam off, she started talking about this and she said, you know, it's just so much easier. I didn't realize how stressful those years of perimenopause were until I was through it and I could look back. And I'm so grateful now. She said, these are the best years of my life. She said, I'm 80 years old and I didn't realize until three years ago that I'm a writer. I'm having the most fun. She's 80. Now, this is the thing. I need to have her back on the podcast to talk about what we talked about after I turned off the camera. Yeah. If I'd known that was in there, I wouldn't have turned off. <laughs> but yeah. I asked her, I said, on behalf of those of us going through the muck right now, please write that book. Tell us what we can expect. And she said, aside. yes. So what's happened, I think, is that the wise ones, that's my mother's generation. Uh, my mother will be 78 this year, are either unable to share their wisdom because of Alzheimer's and dementia Mm -hmm. or they don't want to because they still believe in the you don't talk about those things they're impolite etc yeah yeah so again we're we're trailblazing as our generation is trailblazing for a lot of things 
and this is just another element, but what I've been told by multiple women who, many, many, many women um, who are past it, it gets so much better. So hang on, ladies, hang on. <laughs> it's interesting. I want to just relate it to, we know, we talk about that perimenopause, menopause is sort of puberty in reverse. We sort mm -hmm. of say, you know, the puberty years are the sort of starting of our cycle, starting of our hormones, entering into those sort of reproductive fertility years and then sort of the down, sort of shutdown of it all in menopause. And post-menopause is that sort of, I don't know, sweet spot time where, you know, we get, we have all these opportunities without that hormonal fluctuation. But what you're saying about wait, it's going to get better is exactly the conversation I've had with one of my teenage daughters now who is a young teenager and is really struggling with all the things that young teenagers are struggling with. And I said to her over the weekend, uh, and I would admit I had tears in my eyes, I wish I could fast forward this for you three, four years, because I know these are the hardest years of a teenager in the 21st century, these three, four years. And I wish I could fast forward it to you, for you because I promise you, once you come out of this, it gets better. And what you're saying that Susan said to you is exactly the same. The women who are in the muck of perimenopause symptoms who are not functioning, and that's not everyone, that's not everyone's story, but for those women, the inspiration and the hope that it gets better on the other side, I think is so, you know, it, it, it's a great way to end our conversation now. Yes, I agree. And I didn't realize until just when you started talking about this, how in my mind, I don't even know what to think about postmenopause. It's literally just a blank slate. It's like nobody gave me that information and I'm supposed to be the expert. So how is somebody that has no expertise in this, right? So yeah. we literally get to carve this out for ourselves. Please find a practitioner who is educated in the functional medicine or integrative approach. And that might not look like a medical doctor. That might be an acupuncturist or a yoga teacher or a chiropractor, or a nutritionist, or a naturopath. There's a number of different disciplines now that are looking at medicine this way. Actually, we always have. We're just calling it functional medicine now and looking for the root cause. But you can also amend your hormones. That will, imp if, it's, if it's suitable for you, then that will strengthen your brain, your heart, and your bones for the rest of your life. This is a big deal. This is the time to do it at perimenopause. This is the time. What I was going to ask you for your parting thought, but you gave it to me without even asking. So we're definitely connected, Dr. Lovely. Um, but I really want to thank you. This was just a fantastic conversation. It really filled my heart. I'm so honored to have had the opportunity to speak to you, to hear your wisdom um, and your experiences and to share you with the audience here. I enjoyed this conversation very much. I hope you got something out of it too. And thanks to Jacqueline Rose for uh, allowing me to share this uh, fun conversation with another fellow female health practitioner and coach. So until next time, be well. Thanks for listening. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. 
If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you. Thank you.